In Daniel chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, it says, During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. Today, Nebuchadnezzar throws a temper tantrum over some fake news. This is day three. Welcome to the Journey Through Daniel podcast, where every day we set aside space in our lives to experience God's word. Together, we'll discuss the content and meaning of each passage and how the book of Daniel can help us understand more about who God is and the story he's writing for each of us every day. Welcome back to day three of the Journey Through Daniel podcast. I'm here once again with Brendan Lang, the author of the Journey Commentary, and Stephen Kelly. Good to be with you. Pastor, worship leader, overall great cultural commentator. And I have a question today. Let's hear it. What's your favorite fake news story you've ever heard? Or like most ridiculous. <laughs> Are there favorites? Why not? Like it can be ridiculous. It can be the funniest one. Maybe one that you thought was true. Just curious. What's your favorite one? There's actually one that kind of relates to the book of Daniel. It does relate to the book of Daniel. Okay. So have you ever heard of the Babylon Bee? Oh, yeah. It's kind of like the onion for Christians. For Christians, yeah. yeah. exactly. So there's this one. The title is Archaeologists Unearth Giant Chocolate Bunny in Ruins of Ancient Babylon. <laughs> <laughs> it's a deep VeggieTales cut there. That's right. That's exactly. Good. I thought that was funny. What about you, Stephen? I don't have one. I really don't. <laughs> I really don't. That's good. You stay away from fake news. I mean, I was trying to look some up because I've heard some like legendary ones and a lot of them are a little bit too politically charged right now, but I thought this one was pretty funny. Sephora awarded NASA contract to give Moon a fresh, fun makeover. Like Sephora, Brendan, oh, Sephora's like, sorry, it's, it's a makeup company. I know. I, got, yeah. I, heard, I heard Ford or something. I was like, what? Yeah, Sephora, Sephora. awarded NASA contract to give Moon a fresh, fun makeover. Nice. And there's going to be comments on that. Do you know what a whoosh is? A whoosh? Yeah, so basically when you bite on a fake news story like the onion or something, like somebody's making a joke oh, or writing look, satire, and when you, you think it's real and it's like goes over your head, it's called you got whooshed or like you whoosh. I'm not joking. In college, we read an article from the onion that someone would like this is happening this is a bible college which just makes <laughs> just it doesn't give you a lot of confidence but it was like there's a guy brought this article talked about how like preachers are going to start sharing messages and like as holograms or something like that oh, yeah. and, was, and he's like this is going to change everything it wasn't very positive his take on it but That's, maybe someday maybe some oh yeah. i mean we'll see how long covid lasts that's right that'll bring about the holograms well today nebuchadnezzar is dealing with some fake news or what he thinks is fake news who's to say really well i think daniel has something to say about it but let's get into it brendan why don't you take us through our commentary for day three day three the wisdom of babylon versus the wisdom of god toward the end of yesterday's reading we learned that god gave daniel the ability to understand visions and dreams of all kinds today we see daniel use these gifts for the first time The story begins with Nebuchadnezzar having a troubling dream during the second year of his reign. Like much of the world at that time, ancient Babylonians found a great deal of significance in dreams. They understood dreams to be messages from the gods. Archaeologists have actually uncovered dream books that Babylonian scholars used to interpret dreams. These dream books identified the significance of various images in dreams and predicted what outcomes dreamers should expect. In the second year of his reign, a year when Babylonian records show he was preparing for a major war, Nebuchadnezzar certainly would have wanted to know the meaning of this strange dream. So Nebuchadnezzar asks his wise men to interpret the dream, but he surprises them by adding a strange request. In Daniel 2.6 he says, tell me the dream and interpret it for me. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to tell him not only an explanation of the dream, but also the content of the dream. This was an unprecedented request, as the wise men point out. What the king asks is too difficult. 
No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. Daniel 2.11 The local dream experts could pass along their interpretations, but there was no manual for revealing dreams. Perhaps Nebuchadnezzar had been unimpressed with previous interpretations and wanted more proof that these wise men really had a connection to the gods. Whatever the reason, his request highlighted the inadequacy of Babylonian wisdom and provided a space for God's wisdom to shine. No Babylonian expert or their supposed gods could reveal the dream, but God could and would. This lesson is important for us in our increasingly over-informed world. We have more information than ever, but as the divisions in our society make abundantly clear, we don't always know how to interpret the information available to us. Like Nebuchadnezzar, we need real wisdom to navigate our world, to know how to live in our complex society. We need a wisdom that comes from outside ourselves. The message of Daniel is that this wisdom is available, and it comes from God. For day three, we're reading Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 30. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom intact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this time, Daniel went into the king and asked for time, so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed, but the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. 
The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Stephen, you want to take us through our reflection questions for day three? Question number one. In our culture, we often think of heaven as some far-off place. But as this chapter suggests, it's actually not so distant. Unlike the gods of Babylon, who do not live among humans, God's residence is really very close. This is one reason why he is repeatedly called the God of heaven in this chapter. So the question is, how does thinking of heaven as close shift your view of God and prayer? Question number two, Daniel's prayer to know Nebuchadnezzar's dream was courageous and probably terrifying. He had no guarantee that God would reveal the dream to him. And if God did reveal the dream, there was a chance its meaning would upset the volatile king. Like Daniel, what issues in our world or areas of your life could you use more wisdom to understand? Make the courageous and possibly terrifying request to see, really see the world as God sees it. You really left us on a cliffhanger there, Brendan, where you clipped <laughs> off the verse. Get used to it. I, I want to know. I didn't clip off the verse. The we got to wait till tomorrow to yeah, see yeah. what the, ver- yeah, the uh, story. How yeah. many people are going to skip ahead? That's the question. Well, depends how well we tease them here, I yeah, guess. Yeah, we and, didn't get to see what Nebuchadnezzar actually dreamed. Yeah. Just that Daniel's about to throw it down. The dream deserves its own discussion. Oh, so. okay. Well, let's discuss everything before the dream. Yep. My <laughs> first thing is, this really seems like a make or break it, like faith spiritual, supernatural moment for Nebuchadnezzar. He's questioning everything. He's like, do you diviners, do you astrologers, all y'all, do you even know anything? Because he's like, you guys are just throwing fake news at me. It's interesting because it's, I don't know of anybody really ever asking something like that in the ancient world. And these guys pointed out right here. It's like, no one would ask this. Now, dream interpretation, that's a pretty normal thing. We have dream books. It's part of a larger practice called divination, where essentially you have these experts, which these guys are in some ways what Daniel and his buddies have been trained to do. These experts who are supposed to look at things, phenomena in the world. So they, you know, when you sacrifice a sheep, for instance, you look at its liver, or you look at like the position of the moon and sun and stars in the sky, or you look at, you know, how oil, what it does when you pour it in water and things like that. And whatever unique symbols you see, those will forecast for you what the gods are telling you and what's going to happen. Now, dreams are kind of a form of divination, although what's unique about dreams is that they're somewhat controlled. That's not something that you can manipulate. It's not something you can initiate. And so God, he doesn't like divination. He doesn't 
reveal himself through typical ancient Near Eastern divination because he doesn't want to be manipulated. He wants to be the one who reveals himself in his own ways on his own terms and to be clearly understood. He does it through dreams we see at times. And here he gives Nebuchadnezzar a dream and Nebuchadnezzar wants to know what this dream is actually about. He understands that these guys who've been trained, they can look at their books and give him suggestions. And they may also modify, they may give him a different report than what the manuals say because you know they're scared of what he's going to say and things like that. So he wants to know that what he's going to get is actually a message from the gods above. It's not just the interpretation. He wants to know exactly what his dream was. Yes. With no context. Exactly. And that's his verification. It's you guys, I know you can look at these books and tell me what an interpretation is, but if you can tell me what I actually dreamed, then I know that what you're giving me is truly from above. Well, I think Daniel says it too when he prays to God. He's even stating how this works. God mm-hmm. gives knowledge to the discerning. He deposes kings and raises others up. It's funny because he's almost like forecasting his own right. situation here if he gets this right. Because no. like, let's revisit what's happening. Basically, Nebuchadnezzar is like, all y'all, this whole industry of people that are doing this, you're all going to die. I'm done with all of you, right? And Daniel's like, you know, just chilling in his house with his friends. And mm-hmm. he's like, hey, what's what's going on? Oh, you're going to try <laughs> to kill us. Cool. Um, Let's not do that, please. So he like kind of advocates for everybody, including the people yeah. who probably don't have any business interpreting dreams. And yeah, well, people who, I mean, we're going to see are actually end up being pretty jealous of these guys and the people that he shows up. Honestly, this story is sometimes called a story of court competition, where basically Daniel's set alongside these other wise men and who's going to rise to the top, who's going to prove to be wiser. Well, according to Daniel's view of God, he deposes kings and raises others up. So yeah. it really kind of shows who has the power and Daniel knows going forward who has the power. But for us, I'm curious, how should this frame how we approach God or view God even? What it reveals is that God has wisdom in his hands. He has knowledge in his hands, the knowledge that we really need in this world. He's the one who can reveal what is to come to Nebuchadnezzar. So in a lot of ways, he's showing up, not just the Babylonian wise men, but also the Babylonian gods. In some ways, it seems like it's a competition between Daniel and the wise men, but really at its core, it's the competition between the God of Israel and the gods of Babylon, the gods who supposedly knew what was to come. And God makes it crystal clear here that he's the one who knows what is to come. Stephen, I'm curious how you'd answer that question too. How should this frame or how should this change how we approach or view God? Several things pop in my head. Just reading the story, I think you can juxtapose God's invitation and Nebuchadnezzar's invitation. I'm assuming Nebuchadnezzar was pretty afraid. He was disturbed. And so he uses fear, you know, to say, hey, if you don't do this, I'm going to cut you into pieces. And so, I mean, I just think this narrative of how power corrupts. And Mm -hmm. so you can just see how insidious it is with the King Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, that's what you do to people who, you know, if you don't believe them, like, I don't know how fear is going to help solve this situation, one. And I juxtapose that to how I remember the book of James, it says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let them just ask God. God gives Mm -hmm. out wisdom. And so I think, man... Yes, God has wisdom, but there is a request that God says. He said, you have to be humble. You can't be double-minded when you ask for wisdom. He says, a double-minded person should never expect anything from God. Just seeing that juxtaposition of how power corrupted and how Nebuchadnezzar Mm. is dominating even those who are underneath him. And God says, hey, I have all the wisdom, I have all the power, but you're going to have to just ask me and I'll give it to you. But you can't be double-minded. You can't be self-seeking. You got to be asking in the right way. I love that. That's so good. What you said is really true because there's a motivation behind any good leader of what they do or any bad leader. There's a motivation behind what they're choosing to do. Mm -hmm. And what you said is so true. Like there's got to be fear in this dream. And that's why he really wants that interpretation. Like he's probably afraid of what the implications are. And I think that's why he calls out these guys that are fake and the fake news (laughs) because he's like, you know what? This could be a bad dream. Right. And I want to know 
know what is really happening. So these guys who are afraid for their lives even before he threatens them, mm-hmm. they're likely to give him a fake story, right? So he calls it out, calls out fake news, and he says, you know, I can see through this. I can see you have plans to mislead me. And that brings us to a pretty socially and culturally hot button issue right now for us. Man, how do we figure out what's true and what's not today? Hmm. Like, how can we use this story to help us even just like create a filter or a lens to how we look at our world today to figure out what is really true in a world where we get a lot of mixed messages? You want to tackle that, Stephen? <laughs> <laughs> well, certain things come to mind for me, and I wish I had more context, but there's a difference between facts and truth. Mm. Facts, in many ways, are kind of undisputable. Well, not in this day and time. This is kind of true. <laughs> sure. Facts are not undisputed. But truth is more subjective, I would say. But, yeah. you know, once again, going back to the book of James, he talks about the wisdom that's from above and the wisdom that's corrupt. And he's like, the earthly wisdom is selfish. There's bitter envy. There's strife. And so it's kind of like, what's true? If it's self-serving, usually there are some distortions in that. Mm. But he talks about the wisdom that comes from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, without partiality, no favoritism. And so I think when we're searching for what's true, when you see humankind kind of injecting their own ideology into stuff, there's contention, there's divisiveness. Typically, you know, there is something going on there. But if it's Mm. towards building bridges, being unified, actually serving people. And in many ways, the character of Christ, God is the way, the truth and the life. And so, I mean, I think the way of God is truth to distortions that kind of exalts itself against God. That's probably my best guess. That's good. Yeah, that's really good. You know, there's a few things I want to say, and I feel like there's some cautions to have. I feel like sometimes in Christianity, there's the spirit of anti-intellectualism that Mm -hmm. we reject facts and we shouldn't do that. Like there's a lot of really great information and a lot of experts over the years are learning more and more about the world and the way that it works. And we shouldn't be afraid of information. If all truth is God's truth, then... Yeah. Is that the right? How, is that how you say it? Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. I think there's a couple of things even in that, Yeah, which is this idea that I think for Christianity, we've been told that the Bible holds every answer that we need, right? And so if we declare something yeah. <laughs> as Christians, we think that we can't learn and adapt and change our minds. Yeah. That's another piece of even just like the beginning of what you were going to say. Like yeah. this being afraid of information does not allow us to adapt and change for the application of the Bible towards culture because that context does change. The word of God does not change, but how it is applied yeah. to society the principles, is going to change. The underlying, yeah, like it was written in a specific context at a certain time for specific people and it's going to read a certain way. And so when, if God was to write the Bible to us in our world today, it would of course read differently, just like any message you communicate to different groups is always going to be different. This is just how communication works. So there's the spirit of anti-intellectualism. I think we can't reject facts, but the truth is there is always an interpretation of facts. When facts are put together into a story, it's necessary. This is how history actually works. History is necessarily interpretive. There's the things that happen on the ground, but then there's always an explanation of what went on. It's like if you and I were to go to a baseball game together. I guess you're a baseball fan. Where do you not? I'll watch baseball. You're not a basketball fan, right? You're not as... I mean, I'm a fan. I just am bad at it. I'm just saying like if we go and we have that experience, the way you might talk about the night, even though we would experience the same things sitting 
at the same seats, the way we would describe that may be different. It would be a different history. For and that's sure. and what we see in our world today is you see people sometimes taking facts and putting spins on them. You're talking about these ideologies, right, Stephen? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we oftentimes do is we filter our facts through our ideologies. And if our ideologies aren't coming from God, if we aren't letting God, an intimate relationship with God and the wisdom he might reveal to us, help us filter those facts, then we might be inclined to put our own spin on it. And that's why we sometimes end up with all the varying types of fake news we see in our world today. For sure. And I think that just to name again, we said this, I think during the introduction and probably day one too, there's a tendency to even here in this conversation, make it a partisan issue or a divisive issue. And that's not the way of Jesus. The way right. of Jesus is to subvert all politics. So, you know, what we're trying to do is just yeah. take the Bible for what it is and read it and interpret it for how it should be applied to our lives and how it informs your politics. That's for you to think about and apply. And we will never be the ones to be making that implication for you, for sure. Yeah. And Tyler, I mean, hearing you talk about sometimes we are so afraid of information. I mean, I think in my experience, when I've talk to people who have been in many ways closed-minded towards kind of new information. It's because, to your point, they've built their ideology on something that benefits them, you know? And so when it starts to deconstruct what it is that not only you've assumed or been taught, but it actually benefits you and you don't know where that's going to leave you if you integrate this new information into who you are or who you believe yourself to be, that's where the fear kind of creeps in. And there's a defensiveness to new information because I think people are receptive to information that benefits them usually and when it doesn't benefit them that's where you get all of this kind of defensiveness and truth becomes subjective because it doesn't fit that narrative that they've learned and that they've kind of built their credibility on or whatever else you name it yeah, that's a great point. I think no matter where you go in the world, humans are trying to push towards comfort, right? Yeah. Just a little bit of security, a little bit of comfort. Because why wouldn't you? That's a natural right. human thing to do. I think you're totally right when new information is presented. I mean, you can do a very applicable situation like, hey, Brendan, you just bought a house recently. We're going to ask you to up and move, actually. That sounds pretty uncomfortable. That I mean, is, the headache of, right. the headache of having to figure right. out where that is. What does a mortgage do? What is like, you know, all of that stuff. Yep. That sounds uncomfortable. But, you know, if somebody was like, hey, we're going to double the property value of your house that you just bought. That's great. Uh, that <laughs> that sounds a little good. better. Yeah, it feels pretty good. I mean, you'd probably be like, what's the catch? Yes. That's because we're leery of, we should be leery of news that does improve our situations For too. Sure. And I think this is just part of being alive today, but I think this is probably the case forever. As you can see in the book of Daniel, like you're going to deal hmm. with one perspective of somebody's experience and their ideologies shape it, just like you guys have said. My question is when we confront those things that are either untrue, so they're not true, truth or they are not facts, but being presented as such. You know, Nebuchadnezzar does that and he does it in probably what is an unhealthy way because he has the power to do so. He says, I'm going to chop you up into pieces, basically, (laughs) and also turn your houses into rubble, which I assume is not, that's not knock down your house. I'm assuming that means like take your kids, your wives, your livestock, all this stuff and just like, you tell me. I'm just making an assumption, right? Well, cutting into pieces and demolishing houses into rubble, those those are already pretty bad. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's more involved in that. But my question is like, how do we in a healthy and productive way confront things that we know to be untrue or at the very least like misleading or concealing of the truth and what it might be 100% true? How do we confront things? Yeah. How do we do that? That's tough. (laughs) I mean, God does it through dreams and he uses us as people. I don't know that we have 
a clear method in scripture. What I would say is normally you got to speak to people in ways that they can hear. I think sometimes people put up walls, they'll put up blinders, they'll say, I can't take this. And so you try to step by step help them. Just like teaching, you have little kids, you know, like me. And, and so when we teach our kids things, we meet them where they're at and we give them what they can handle and we bring them along, even though we won't give them the whole whatever because they can't handle that. And I think that's maybe how we should operate. But then again, you know, Jesus, he he gives people the tough talk and he's following a model. He oftentimes quotes this line from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter six, where God says, preach in such a way that people's hearts will actually become hardened. Not that they'll be softened, preach that their hearts will become hardened, that their eyes will be closed, that their ears won't hear. And Jesus actually some ways, he quotes that and he operates in that way sometimes. You see and, how he interacts with like the Pharisees. and Yeah, exactly. And, it's like these people, they've been on this path and there's no going back. And so just help them finish it off. And that's what God asks. And so I don't know that that there's necessarily one right way to do it all the time. Man, that's a loaded question. How do you confront? <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't want to do a spoiler alert, but Daniel 3, really, the Hebrew boys, in many ways, I say by their actions, they confronted mm. the king's decree. And often people love to talk, yeah, they you know, do. but I think more is demonstrated by your actions. They saw that they were not bowing to the king's decree. And yeah. that kind of was a confrontation of the king's orders. And so I think that prophetic voice of saying, no, this is what I know to be true. This is what I know of God. I will not bend to culture, even if it's expedient for me to do so. So I think mm. there's an exercising of the prophetic voice, which is necessary when there is oppression that is not of God. Then I think, you know, Romans 14, 15 talks about dealing with conflict with brothers and sisters. And here's where I struggle. Romans talks about worry about yourself. So there are some things, once again, that's almost like Paul is telling us, you make sure that you're living out your convictions. Once again, almost that same thing like Daniel. You know, we confront injustice by being the solution, not necessarily just critiquing what's wrong. You know what I mean? And so I think a prayer for me is always, I get it from Psalms 139. David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me. I think it starts with this self-examination and saying, okay, what are my motives for why I want to confront this? Is it because I'm speaking out against injustice? Is this going to benefit me? Is it because I feel, you know, that I should, you know what I mean? And so doing yeah, that sure. introspective work and say, okay, now if I know this matters to the heart of God, yes, I'm going to be like the Hebrew boys and say, hey, I'm not going to bow. I'm going to stand on what I know is true and I'm willing to suffer the consequences. I think one of the things I learned in one of the early journeys was because like, that's my thing. I love the Jesus who walks in and turns tables, right? And he mm -hmm. just flips yeah. them over. He's a little more violent with it and <laughs> makes a show. But the reason he was able to do that is because of the relationships he had built beforehand. I was told if you're going to confront somebody, make sure it's within truth and within love. And that's within relationship that is trustworthy mm -hmm. and also that when you're speaking truth and it may be difficult or maybe easy truth that's coming from love. And it's like you said, Stephen, that it's salt and light to the yeah. earth and it's not coming from a way of wanting to see destruction happen for the sake of it. It's you're wanting to see the betterment of God's plan and heaven realized on earth. What we look at when we see Jesus in the Gospels is he actually saves his toughest words for those who claim to be closest to him, who have roles of religious authority. And so I think that we have to keep in mind who we're talking to. And we see this throughout scripture. God's toughest words are usually for his people. And so we have to be discerning of, are we talking to people who claim to follow God? Or are we talking to people who have no relationship with God? And I think that should change how we address them. So whether it's like a harsh message or whether it is a soft message, like a message of hope, because it seems like Daniel in this situation is able to bring 
a good amount of hope to Nebuchadnezzar because he's been agonizing over this this uh, dream a little bit, at least in that he's going to have answers. He's, he's going to have answers. We don't know what the dream says, Brendan, because you no. cut off the verse here. <laughs> but it does seem like Daniel has something to offer in the fact that he's able to interpret it. Yeah, he does. And it's not because of himself. And this is what we talked about at the beginning. It's because of the wisdom he received from God. And so I think that's really the takeaway is like, we need to have an intimate relationship with God. He goes to God in prayer. He's someone who's connected to God. And if scripture teaches us from beginning to end, like if we want to know how to navigate the complexities of this world, the way we do it is by having an intimate relationship with God, spending time with him daily, thinking about how God would interact with the world, looking at the world from God's eyes and always having this posture of learning and willingness to have our eyes open. Because again, this is what the book of Daniel, it's an apocalypse where God is revealing things. And so if we have our eyes closed, we're never going to learn, grow, and become really the people in the kingdom that God desires on earth. I think the only thing I would add is, yes, God's truth is relevant in any context. For the rich and the powerful, for the poor and the broken, God's wisdom and his truth is always contextualized for the here and now. And all we need to do is humbly surrender and ask. That's the goodness. That's the hope of God. Like God can meet you where you are. Mm. God can protect you from the enemy. God can give you wisdom to those in power. We don't need to fear. We have no reason to fear. As we are in lockstep and tethered to the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the keys, we have the information, we have the wisdom to move forward. Thanks for joining us today for the Journey Through Daniel podcast. If this is your first time, so glad that you checked us out. To check out even more resources, children and family resources, and ebooks for all ages, visit our journey page at willowjourney.org. And follow us for updates at Willow Creek NS on Instagram. If you have questions or would like to learn more about the ministries of Willow Creek Community Church, check us out at willowcreek.org. We'll see you next time.